0: Here we are. Good evening, everyone. Librarian Danielle Binocci here from the Code St. Luke Public Library, joining you virtually. Today, we have another great program for you. The library is thrilled to have the opportunity to host a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Rebecca Searle. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for taking the time to speak with me today all the way from California. And to Rita, (laughs) thanks, at Simon & Schuster for making this event possible. Thank you also to Andreas at Paragraph Bookstore for collaborating with us on this event. And we'll tell you a bit more at the end of the event if you want to purchase the book through Paragraph Bookstore. You can also put your name down for the book. Thank you, Rebecca, uh, at the library. It is on a waiting list. So to begin with, I will share a condensed bio. Won't be long, Rebecca. Rebecca Searle is the New York Times bestselling author of In Five Years, The Dinner List, and the young adult novels, The Edge of Falling, and When You Were Mine. Searle also developed the TV hit, uh, I'm sorry, the hit TV adaptation, Famous in Love, which you could see uh, an image of behind her there.
1: I have all the visual aids.
0: based on her YA series of the same name. She is a graduate of USC and the New School and lives in Los Angeles. Find out more at RebeccaSearle.com. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you again so much for joining us today and congratulations on such a beautiful and moving novel.
1: Thank you very much. Thank
0: you very much for having
1: me. I'm so excited to chat today.
0: We're very happy to have you. So before we even discuss your latest novel, One Italian Summer, let's talk about the multiple facets of your career listed on your website. (laughs) Author, producer, screenwriter all appear under your name. So it does seem you wear many hats and we will speak soon about your author credentials. But first, can you tell the audience a little bit about your experience both as a producer and a screenwriter?
1: Sure. So um, my trajectory into Hollywood came through publishing, came through my career as a novelist. Um, I uh, published this young adult series called Famous in Love that we were just chatting about. And I really felt like it would make a good TV show because I grew up on WBTV, like Gilmore Girls and Dawson's Creek. Those were all the shows I loved as a kid. And, and it kind of felt in the same vein. It was about a girl Um, who gets plucked from obscurity to star in the next major feature film franchise based on a best-selling book series. And I was like, this could be like a fun Gossip Girl show. So I got very lucky. Um, We sold it to Warner Brothers and we made two seasons of it. And that was really my first foray into screenwriting. I wrote the pilot and I was in the writer's room every day and I was producing the show. Um, And now I, you know, I will say that being an author, is like the foundational elements of my career. It is the thing that I love the most. It comes before anything else, but um, I'm very lucky to be, um, to have like exposure to, to like to the world of film and TV oftentimes through my adaptations. And so now, um, you know, we'll we'll make a book and and sometimes it will, you know, get option to be a film or a show. And I have a different role in those different adaptations depends on what feels right. Um, you know, some of them I am just producing, some of them I'm gonna write and adapt myself. Um, so it's fun. It's it's to me it's like a little bit of a complimentary career, but it really does grow at this point in my career, it goes very organically out of my out of my published work.
0: So I was going to ask you that when you tackle each project, is does it always begin with a novel and then you sort of see where it goes from there? Yes, historically, yes.
1: I will say I did, um, I did do an adaptation of the Jessica Darling book series, like the beloved book series that I loved so much. I still love. I mean, I loved as a, as, as a teen. Um, and uh, so I did, I did adapt that work and that was a different experience. Much harder, I think, taking somebody else's work because with mine, I don't feel particularly precious if I want to throw away a plot line or I want to change a character. It's, it's my universe. I can play in it. Um, but with somebody else, especially a, a piece of work that you really love, you feel maybe it's some more responsibility. So I did that. But, um, but predominantly, it does begin with a novel. And then it's okay, sort of, you know, where do I see this story living beyond a book? And, and sometimes the answer is that I don't. Um, but I have been lucky in that um, these stories seem to want to, to grow in, in different arenas. So.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned the Gilmore Girls, and there is a connection uh, with One Italian Summer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So I will say the
1: book opens with um, with a quote from Lorelai Gilmore, which I'm which I'm not going to read, but I will tell you that if you here, it's here, right here. It's um it's um it's um the final episode of Gilmore Girls when when Lorelai and Rory are sort of saying goodbye to each other. Um, but if you listen to the audiobook, you will be able to hear Lauren Graham read that quote because she narrates the audiobook. Lauren Graham, who famously played Laura Leigh Gilmore on The Gilmore Girls, um, and it's really funny. I will say to hear her read that quote. As Lorelai Gilmore. And then she says the, you know, like she says Lorelai Gilmore. She says the word Lorelai Gilmore. Can like almost hear the wink in her voice. It's very cute. Um, she did a wonderful job. It's very moving. I actually haven't been able to listen to more than like four chapters because I just keep crying every time I listen to it. Um, but I'm very honored that she, you know, she'd never um, she'd never recorded an audiobook that wasn't a piece of her own work, because she is a novelist and author in her own right. And I was very touched that she loved the story and she felt like you spoke to her. And she um, said to me that she felt it was an extension of her own work, which is honestly just the most flattering thing I think I've ever heard. Um, so, for all of you audiobook lovers and listeners, I would I would deeply recommend it.
0: That's a great story. Uh, now I will share a glimpse of your new book with those tuning in tonight, and uh, I will say a big thank you to Rita at Simon and Schuster for sending me an advanced readers edition of the book. Yay! The New York Times bestselling author of the heartwarming, heartbreaking and hard to put down modern classic in five years returns with a moving and unforgettable exploration of the powerful bond between mother and daughter set on the breathtaking Amalfi coast. When Katie's mother dies, she's left reeling. Carol wasn't just Katie's mom, but her best friend and first phone call. She had all the answers. And now when Katie needs her the most, she is gone. To make matters worse, their planned mother-daughter trip of a lifetime looms to Positano, the magical town where Carol spent the summer right before she met Katie's father. Katie has been waiting years for Carol to take her, and now she's faced with embarking on the adventure alone. But as soon as she steps foot on the Amalfi Coast, Katie begins to feel her mother's spirit. By the stunning waters, beautiful cliff sides, delightful residents and, of course, delectable food, Katie feels herself coming back to life. So there is, of course, much more to this story, as you can imagine. (laughs) And as a reader, I was bewildered when a 30 year old version of Carol, Katie's mom, seems to magically appear in the flesh in a parallel universe or time lapse. Rebecca, can you please tell us more about this aspect of the novel and what made you choose this angle? Well, I mean, historically, I will say for for any of um,
1: any of our our joinees and listeners tonight, who read my other work, *The Dinner List* in, in five years. I tend to write magical realism. I, I rate, there is an element of magic to my to my books. Um, *The Dinner List* is about a woman who shows up to her 30th birthday dinner. And it's that dinner, if you could have dinner with any five people living or dead, who would they be? So Audrey Hepburn is at her dinner table. And then um, In Five Years is about a woman who gets to live five years in her future. So One A Time Summer is about a young woman who gets to spend the summer um, with her mother when her mother is 30 and they get to spend the summer together as two young women. Um, I will say a little bit about where the book came from, which is that in the summer of 2019, I went back to Italy with my mom and my mother, similar to Carol, had always talked about this magical summer she spent in Rome um, when she was 20 years old and she fell in love with this man named Remo and she had this just like wonderful three months there and we ended up finding Remo on Facebook through his sister and they met at the Trevi Fountain, which was the place that they had met 50 years beforehand. And he brought her this charm that said love on it that she had given him 50 years before Um, and I got to see my mother, you know, as the sort of like, as the person before I existed, I got to see her sort of like nervous and flirtatious and shy and all of these things that my mother is not, my mother is very happily married to my father. Um, you know, they were together obviously far before I was born. So I really kind of got a window into, Um, a little bit of a different woman and it got me thinking about the people that our mothers are before we ever come onto the scene and what it might be like to get to know them and get to spend time with them and that is uh, how the idea for One Time Summer
0: emerged. I really love this idea because we I mean I know I have difficulty imagining my mom as a younger version of herself and really do wonder what would she be like because I can only picture her the way I I experience how she is right now Um, and I do find it interesting that in the novels, sometimes Katie's sort of kind of looking at the Carol in the novel and I don't expect you to act that way is is what it seems (laughs) she would be saying.
1: She's both very familiar to her and very unfamiliar to her because she's you know She's in a lot of ways, like we are who we are, right? And in fact, I remember when I was first developing the concept concept for the book and writing those early chapters, I thought about a version where um, I was like, maybe Katie sees Carol and she thinks, oh, that woman looks really familiar, right? Because it's her mother 30 years beforehand. Maybe she thinks she looks really familiar. And I said to myself, no, because If I saw my mom, when my mom was 20 or 30, like I would know her immediately. There would be no, there would be no, um, there would just be no wondering, like it's my mom and I know who she is. Like I could see her at 15 and I would know it was her in an instant. So there's that like real deep connection. But, But then there's also all of this stuff that Katie doesn't really know about this person she's encountering. She's not a mother yet. She's not a wife yet. She's not all of the roles that Katie knew her to be and um, and I think there's something really interesting about that about you know about the allowance of our parents as people and as real human beings separate from being who they are to us
0: so, As you were saying, you and your mom took one of these fabulous Italian trips together back in 2019. So great timing on your part Mm -hmm. Um, and that you met up with one of your mom's former flames. Um, Okay, I'm sorry. So you did share a bit of this story. This was one of my questions, but you answered it uh, beforehand.
1: yeah. And we got, so that was like a really wonderful experience. That all <laughs> happened in Rome. And then I went on to Positano um, myself and met up with some friends there. And, you know, the really interesting thing about Italy and, and, um, and it very much plays into sort of the concept of the book is that um, it is this place, Positano especially, I will say, because there's not that many cars and, and Just the restaurants, the hotels, all of them have been there for decades and decades and decades. The Hotel Poseidon, which is where the novel uh, One Summer takes place, is a real hotel. Um, And those characters are real people. I mean, they're they're based off of real people. Monica and Marco really exist. and there's like a little um, surprise at the end of, of the hardcover for for those of you who have this and 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 would like to read it um, about my relationship to that hotel. Um, but you know, there's this real sort of dichotomy in Italy between it being it being this really timeless place, right? Like a place that I could return 50 years after my mom was there, and the same restaurants are there, and the same little shops that sell sell the same like printed dresses with lemons on them. I mean. There's just a real, there's a real sort of exhale to the time and place of Italy. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I think that that's something that we really need in this modern moment that's so frenetic and intense. And we are so caught up in the narrative of of 2020 and 2021 and 2022, like exactly what is happening right now. And understanding that that time and humanity and place has a longer trajectory than that. I just felt that so strongly when I was in Italy And then simultaneously, I think it's a place that really requires you to be so present. Um, I will say like, you know, food is really such a big part of this book and, and just like, you know, and texture and taste and all of the momentary experiences that are really key to to like to yeah to our human experience here so there's like a there's a really interesting dichotomy in italy between those two things between like tasting a tomato and have that embody the full moment and then also understanding that there is this real timelessness um to that to that
0: place so the idea of time yeah so the idea of time (laughs) Okay, no problem. Uh, So time and timelessness, uh, I think you summarize it very well that when you are in certain parts of Italy, it just seems like it doesn't matter what the year is, it just probably looks the same as it did uh, previously. But there's also in the novel, uh, Katie's mom, before she passes away, does tell her, why did you get married so young? Why are you in such a rush? Take some time to experience Mm -hmm. life um
1: yeah I mean I think that I think you know I think our mothers really very much want us to um to like embody their kind of happiness and I think that um you know I think Carol has some questions about how young she got married and sort of like the life that 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 she ended up living and what that looked like and I think that you know our our mothers want the best for us. Like they want us, they want us to to not make the same mistakes they did. Um, they want us to, you know. I mean, I know my mom would hope that like I have a perfect life and never experience any suffering or pain in any moment of it. So I think that Carol, you know, Carol as an adult very much is looking at Katie saying like, there's so much you should experience. Like there's so much out there, and I, you know, I see you choosing this lane, and I don't know if it's right for you. Um, And I will say, you know, I think Katie is a a protagonist who, when we meet her, is somebody who just doesn't have a lot of personal agency. She really believes that her mother made all of her choices for her, that her life is a product of the decisions of somebody else. And part of her journey over the course of the book is to understand that, uh, in fact, her life is a product of the choices she made for herself, and that actually nobody knows the blueprint for our lives better than we do Not even our own mothers right like i think that would like if there would be a thesis for the book it would really be that um so i think that's part of it like and i think that that's part of every mother-daughter journey i know it has been for my mother and i like you want the best for each other and at a certain point you need to let go and accept that you don't necessarily know what that is for someone who's not yourself even if it's your mom even if it's your daughter
0: this isn't a traditional love story the mother-daughter bond between katie and carol is so profound Uh, Katie's completely heartbroken when her mother passes away. Her husband wants to be there for her, to support and comfort her, but she's inconsolable. So can you talk about this aspect a little bit more? Um, About the aspect of grief? Um, About her husband and how, you know, traditionally this is the person you would lean on uh, to get over this kind of grief.
1: Um, So I will say, um, uh, I had a very dear friend in college who got married quite young. And I remember she was on a flight and I don't recall where it was to, but there was a lot of turbulence and that thing that, hap- that can happen happened where like the face masks fell-, fell down and they had to put them on and everybody was really scared. And, um, and I don't actually think that this is still true, but a decade ago, it was true on planes, which is that they they had those phones built into the seat in front of you. And I remember her telling me that she looked at the phone and she um knew that if she only had one phone call to make it would have to be to her husband and not to her mom and how much grief there was in that idea that like her husband had to be her person now and it wasn't her mom. And I think Katie is somebody who has never made that transition. She never allowed her her husband to be in the primary position. It's still her mom for her. So now she's grieving and she doesn't really know how to turn to him. And she doesn't really trust that he has any of the answers or that he even really knows what she needs because she's never allowed him to show her that she does, that he
0: does, excuse me. Which was your favorite character to write and why?
1: I think young Carol was really fun because she's so lively and vivacious and so fun, full of energy. Um, And and that was like, yeah, that was just really pleasurable to write. Katie, I think, in a lot of ways was the most challenging because she is somebody who doesn't really she doesn't totally know who she is when we meet her. And that is a hard thing to convey in a book when you write. Like I, I think about my last um, narrator, uh, a woman named Danny, and in, in Five Years, and Danny was just knew exactly what she wanted for her life. was so headstrong. The book opens, and she's like, "Here's how it goes. Here's how I see it, and here's what life is." And she was a very easy character to write because she's like, "I know," ex- I th- or in her case, I think I know um, exactly what life is. And I'm going to tell you. And Katie is much more reserved and unsure and is not really, doesn't really understand what she is navigating through because she's never done it before. Um, So like the the kind of um, the dialogue between those two women was really interesting. And I think I had a lot more fun with Carol and Katie was very rewarding but challenging in the beginning of the book for sure.
0: This novel will allow readers an opportunity to feel as though they've traveled to one of the most enchanting places in the world. You did this very beautifully and Positano becomes almost like a character in and of itself. Did you yourself stay at the Poseidon when you traveled to Italy with your mom? I absolutely did. I stayed at the Hotel Poseidon, it is a
1: wonderful place. If all goes well, I am meant to go back this summer. So that's very exciting and and be there again. But um, I will say I wrote this book between April and July of 2020. So I wrote this in in, in sort of, you know, the prime of, of COVID, when none of us could leave our houses, and everyone was very insular. And I really wanted to be anywhere besides the four walls of my house. I, I, you know, I wanted to travel. It was also in those really hazy early days where we weren't really sure whether we ever were going to be able to again, right? Like just nobody understood yeah. what this was and what was coming. And so I wanted to just like, I wanted to get out of my reality and the reality of everything that was happening. And I wanted to be somewhere else. And I just kept dreaming about Italy. I kept dreaming about this like beautiful Italian vacation. And so, um, you know, the book very much felt like for me, like it was a vacation to write. It really was. And so My genuine, sincerest hope is that it feels like a vacation to read for all of you, because I know that, you know, international travel is not accessible for for a lot of us for many different reasons and, and so I hope that I can transport you there and and take you on a bit of a trip by reading it.
0: Yes, I I think you did and I I hope uh, those tuning in will agree when they have the chance to read it as well. Observing Carol, Katie understands that she's watching her becoming how does the Carol and Positano differ from the one Katie presented as her mother at the beginning of the novel? I think that when we meet Carol as a young woman, she just doesn't,
1: she's not as, um, she's not as like fully formed into herself as Katie's mother was. So she doesn't, she's much more open-minded and much more um, liberal, not in the political sense of, of, of what we mean that now, but just like, she's she's just, she's more like, she's more liberal with her life and her thoughts and her, you know, her clothing, all of it. She's um, she's not someone who has a set of rules yet. She hasn't cultivated that. She hasn't lived long enough yet to determine what she thinks about everything. And, and I think also in a lot of ways and not to spoil anything, but when we meet Carol, she's very much in search of something that she hasn't found yet. She, um, she's looking for an answer to a question that she's asking that we, um, we know and think that eventually she finds, but when we encounter her, she hasn't yet. And so she's very open in a way. And that is very confusing to Katie because to Katie, her mother was somebody who just never questioned anything, who just knew it all. And so now she's meeting this young woman who, um, who's still in, in a real exploratory phase of her life.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the character of Adam and how he fits into the story?
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, my books are are usually not about, uh, like, romance is, like, a central faction. In Five Years was a love story between two best friends, and One Italian Summer is a love story between a mother and a daughter. But there is always romance, and so there is romance um, in, in One Italian Summer. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, Adam is somebody who... Um, is really just living for the moment. He's living for the experience that he's getting. He's somebody who likes to keep moving. You know, there's like a section in there where he talks about like just how sort of transient he is and how he doesn't really have a home and what that means and whether he wants it. And Katie's somebody whose whole life has been based at home. I mean, quite literally. Like she she basically, like metaphorically in a lot of ways, physically, has not managed to leave home. She's still the primary way she identifies is, is not as someone's wife, but as someone's daughter. And Adam is somebody who identifies just as an individual, as who he is, not in relationship to anyone. Um, And that's very compelling and interesting to Katie.
0: Can you talk a little bit about um, the different myths that uh, you describe, one of them being um, in Capri in the book? Um, Well, there's a lot of myths about how, um, and I think this is one thing
1: I really love about Europe and and sort of about the Mediterranean in general, in that there are a lot of, really beautiful like Grecian and Roman myths about how uh, these places came to be and the stories of how they came to be in relation to the gods and And, and, and Greek mythology was something that I really loved as a child and so um, Adam relates a few of them to Katie and And you know I think it also it contributes to the idea which we really we are, which we are experiencing in real time because here Carol is and she's 30 years old that Positano is this place full of magic and then in fact it's it's, um, it's creation was one of magic and that and that that magic propagates and that that magic continues. Um, and so, you know, we have these little myths like threaded throughout the book to sort of remind us of the fact that this place, uh, this place is full of very real magic. And also that it like that it that it is, um, what do they say, like long and long in the tooth that it, that it has been around for many, 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 uh, like century and millennium and um, really since the time of the gods, that it will greatly outlive us.
0: So at the very end of the novel, not, I don't want to give away too much, um, sure. but Katie does admit, um, I do not belong to anyone. So how did you go about ensuring the character's growth throughout the novel so that she could be at this place by the end of the novel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I really, I write to move people from, from sort of the place they're stuck to the place that they're going to me that that's, that's why I write there isn't really a point in contributing a story to you guys unless it's, unless it's to, to, unless it's to like show a trajectory of growth, right, unless it's to like, um, and that is, you know, it's something that I think that I really Struggle with and work on in my own life. I will say, I think I'm probably farther along than Katie is in her differentiation mm-hmm. journey between, you know, with her mom than, 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 than she is at the time that we meet her. But Katie really needs to understand that, um, that at the end of the day, you know, it's really our like it is our story and it is beautiful if we have, if we have like deep love in our life, be that romantic or familial, or in the case of in five years, friendship, it is a beautiful thing and it makes our life rich. But that at the end of the day, it's really the relationship we have with ourselves that is most significant and the one we have to prioritize and we have to understand that, you know, like we were talking about before that no one else knows the blueprint for our life better than we do. And that like, we cannot belong to anyone until we belong to ourselves. We have no way to authentically give ourselves to anyone else before we authentically understand who we are to ourselves. And so That's really what she learned. She learned how to come home, but it's not the home of her parents. It's not the home of Carol. It's not the home of her husband. It's the home of her own self.
0: I really appreciated how um, Katie needed to kind of distance herself from her life to think back on how she needs to grow and did grow. Um, And I felt as though you really did understand grief in this story, which is very sad and moving, but also um, has funny moments, has moments where you want to just open your fridge and eat something. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of food and a lot of wine.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to rate stories, you know, I think I was, I was listening to Andrew Garfield. He was recently on, I think, Jimmy Fallon or I don't know, somewhere, and he was talking about the passing of his, like, dear mother, and he was saying how grief is just unexpressed love. And I really love that And I think that grief and love are really just intrinsically um, intertwined. And I write love stories, and part of love stories are that they 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 are also grief stories, right? Um. And but but what I want to say about One Italian Summer is that unlike in Five Years, which was really a story that kind of like moved um, from this place of like okay, things are stable, into this place of of sort of like deep grief and loss and processing that. One Italian Summer is a place that begins in 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 um in that place of deep grief, like when the book opens, Katie has just lost her mother, but it is really a book about pleasure. It honestly is. It's a book about, you know, food and wine and sea air. And it's a book about coming back to life. Like that's why Katie goes to Positano and that's what happens to her over the course of her time in Italy is that she comes back to life. And it's what I hope that we are all in some way doing right now and experiencing as we make our way out of our homes and, you know, back into our communities and begin to connect with each other again.
0: On your website, you mentioned loving Nancy Myers movies. Uh, which is your favorite, and why? Something's Got to Give. Um,
1: I um, I'm just like really a sucker for an over sixty love story. <laughs> my favorite genre. Um, oh my gosh, I love Something's Got to Give. In fact, I used to have the um, the DVD, and I had played it so many times that it would skip. I just <laughs> I really love Diane Keaton so much. Um, and, um, and also that Hampton's House is absolutely to die for. Um, there's yes. just something about her movies that it makes you feel like you're just sinking into a warm bath. They're just delicious.
0: And I also read that you like giving unsolicited uh, relationship advice. Has this sort of advice ever gotten you into hot water with friends? <laughs> um, I'm
1: sure. I will say I tend to do it less than I used to. Um, that's an, that was an old bio of mine. And I don't, I, don't, um, I don't really make that mistake anymore. I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I think the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. I think when we're young, we think we know a lot more. And, and as we grow, we realize we don't really know a whole lot. Um, so I think I, I like and hope that I practice listening a little more than I, than I maybe practice advice, at least, <laughs> at least in relation to what I used to.
0: Perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm going to open it up to the audience because uh, they may have some questions for you. Absolutely. And in the meantime, I will ask you about your next project.
1: Um, so I am, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, very much still in one of time summer. This book only came out two weeks ago and I am doing press for it for the next few weeks, at least. Um, I just got back from a book tour and I'm continuing, you know, all of these virtual events, um, and doing a bit more traveling for it. Um, but I did draft a new novel last year. And what I will say about that is that, you know, as we were discussing, my books tend to be about, a, a relationship that's not exactly a romantic relationship, like a different kind of relationship. And this new novel puts um, the romantic relationship in the in the first position. So it'll be it'll be fun to get to explore that and get to to talk about that um, in a few years. <laughs> I'm gonna need a little bit of time after this.
0: Perfect. And because one Italian summer is just so uh, visual and has this cinematic feel about it, are you already in discussions uh, about possibly turning this into a television series or something for the big screen? We are, yeah, <laughs> thought so. Yeah, we are. Great, we're so happy to hear that and we'll be looking out for it. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, which I thought was really interesting is that you came up with your own soundtrack for the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is very cool um and you did I believe somewhere ask your readers to say uh are there any songs that you would add to the book yeah. when reading I um so I do this
1: really funny thing where I will sort of pick one or two songs and I don't even really know how it happens while I'm writing a book and I will just listen to them on repeat over and over and over again and the Carly Rae Jepsen song cut to the feeling with was the was it's such a joyful song I think it's I think it's number one on the playlist it's on my website rebeccastorrell.com if anyone wants to listen. um it's really fun and that was a song I listened to throughout it and then also you know different songs to sort of like inspire different elements it's I will say like it's a great summer playlist it's a great travel playlist it's very evocative of um of a like a July in the Mediterranean so that was a lot of fun to put together
0: So I thought that was great. Uh, As a 70s child, uh, I was looking at it from an 80s perspective. So I would add the songs, uh, Where Is My Mind at the beginning Uh, of the novel. (laughs) And I would put uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash in there somewhere. Great. Love. 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 (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. (laughs) Music is such a...
1: I think like music is really like, you know, it can be such, um, such like a mood setter for writing and for, re- I actually am not very good at listening to music while I'm reading, but I do like to write to music, I think it can like really get you into like the mood of the scene.
0: Uh, thank you, I see that a question has popped up. Do you think Katie's arc will parallel her mom's? Do you as the author know where Katie's story will lead in the future considering the Gilmore Girls' lives did? Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, So I really genuinely feel like once I finish a book and it is published, it belongs to all of you as much as it belongs to me. I don't actually really know what happens after the final page any more than you do. And I think we have an equal right to the continuation of that story. Um, so I'm not sure. I mean, I I always hope that I get my narrators to a place of some wholeness in themselves, regardless of what happens with their relationships, be they romantic or otherwise, I hope that I get them to a place of feeling like they have some security in themselves in the world. And then what happens next is, is anyone's guess. I mean, I have my personal opinions, but I don't, I don't
0: genuinely know how relevant they are. I will say, without giving anything away, I am curious what will uh, become of Katie and her husband's relationship, given what happens in Italy, without saying what happens. Rebecca, what are you planning on reading next, or what are you excited to um, oh okay, yeah, I have to plug, I have it here, I have to plug my friend
1: Jen's book, The Unthinkable Greta James by Jen Smith, who's a dear friend of mine. It's so it's a really good. It's another um sort of like interfamily story, um, and also about about a woman who's processing the the, the death of her mother, the sort of like the untimely and young death of her mother. Um I am about to start an advanced copy of um, my old mentor's uh, new novel, Evidence of, uh, excuse me, her old novel was Evidence of Things Unseen. It's called Properties of Thirst, Marianne Wiggins, who's just one of our greatest living novelists. And I just got the galley actually this morning, and I'm so excited about that. Um, And I was lucky also enough to read um, a new copy of the the new Linda Holmes book. I know a lot of people really love Evie Drake. I did. The new book is called Flying Solo, so I would recommend everyone pre-order that, um, yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for taking the time to speak with us. It's been a pleasure and we wish you only all the best of luck with Yay! your novel. Thank you <laughs> your tour. So much. Thank it's, you, thank you, thank you. It's beautiful and we're looking forward to see whether it becomes a TV series or a major uh, picture. <laughs> well, I will keep you all posted. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Have a nice evening. Bye. Bye.